folks, and welcome back to the 747 Club Podcast, 747 Conversations. Tonight is a special episode. I'm sitting here with my dear friend, Ovi Muhaley, broadcasting all the way from Atlanta, Georgia. Welcome to the podcast, buddy. Hey, thanks for having me, Chris. It's an honor. Now, we we have known each other uh, for about two years. We met at the dinner table at uh, Nexus Global Youth Summit on Innovative Philanthropy and Social Entrepreneurship, and we've become fast and dear friends. And one of the things we originally, originally connected on is that he's actually from my home state of South Carolina. So to open up this podcast, I want to ask you the question of, if you could give credit or thanks to one person in your childhood growing up in Charleston that you don't give enough credit or credit or thanks to, who would that be? Man, it'd probably be my best friend's older sister, as weird as that sounds. Uh, Alexis Rashford was the youth group director at my local church. And she, we had a small church and it was like five or six major families that had several kids that made up, you know, the youth choir, the adult choir, uh, um, did the Christmas plays and the uh, New Year's Eve plays and did all that stuff. And so my best friend's father was the pastor of that church and my best friend's older sister was the youth group director, but I thought she was the coolest thing since sliced bread. You know, when you're you're growing up in your, uh, you know, third, fourth, fifth, sixth grade. Those middle school kids are so cool. When you're in middle school, those high school kids are so cool. That's always where she was. But she was an amazing influence upon me because not only did she have the, you know, just some of the traditional uh, moral center that you see in, in most churches, but she showed me that you can be cool and be a good person as silly as that sounds, like, you know, I saw several times where to be cool, you had to, I mean, at least at school, you look down at people, you have to put them down, pull yourself up, you have to, you know, make jokes at the expense of others. And it was kind of a, you know, a doggy dog type of thing. But from the mission trips that we took uh, to, um, you know, the old folks' home or going to homeless shelters or, uh, you know, just singing uh, uh, to people who needed to be uplifted. Uh, she helped really shape a, a lot of who I am down there in Charleston, South Carolina. And I tell her all the time when I see her, but I really don't give her much credit when I talk to uh, the general public. So I'll say her, Alexis Rashford, my uh, best friend's sister and our my pastor's uh, daughter. I like that. And so when she was kind of helping mold you, and you opening your eyes to say that that good is the new cool, to quote my friend Afdel Aziz. Um, <laughs> what you know w- was that tough to bring back to school? Uh, did people pick on you for trying to to be good? It, was that something easy to sit with? Well, you know, it's it's always a little scary when you go against the the flow because we I went to a private school at Porter uh, Porter High School wonderful school. I'm actually on their board now, but when I was there, I was the only African-American in my grade. And we had a like a 0.0001% minority ratio in there. And this is, a, you know, from 1994 to 1998. 
And you know, it, it was what it was, and it, it was um, I was I was comfortable, but not comfortable at the same time. And you know, and I didn't want to put myself out there. It was hard for me to make a stand when I already felt like a, a dot. I already felt like a, an outcast, no matter how much people try to include me. But it did give me confidence to know that what's right is right, what's wrong is wrong, and you know, you should be comfortable in your faith and who you are. And then, um, you know, what you stand for. So it absolutely was difficult at first. But once you you did it, people people had to respect you. Plus, I was larger than most people. So <laughs> if they, did, if they did disagree. They didn't say anything. Well, so so once, you know, th- there's a line in one of my plays that says, don't worry about people knowing you make yourself worth knowing. Once you started walking the walk, as well as talking the talk, it seems like people had a natural tendency to follow you, when did you realize that you had become a true leader and that you could help people rise up just by being you and being integral and honest? Probably my, my senior year of high school is when it really hit me because I it, it probably happened before that, but I didn't really um, I wasn't really aware of it. Uh, I wasn't even looking to be aware of it. I just kind of just hid in the shadows, didn't play much of a leader role, but my senior year of um, high school for the first time ever I, I ran for a class office I, I ran for student body vice president which was you know again it was it was weird and not weird like I was uh, an athletic phenom but I also didn't have much uh, competition so I I, I was uh, in the track team football team basketball team uh I didn't do baseball I did uh, doubles tennis for a bit I did, <laughs> I, did I, I did a little bit of everything and I um you know, I was like, you know what, people, people like me and they respect uh, my opinions. And I'm a run for student body vice president just to see what happens. I was terrified about you know if I win or not. And I went in a landslide and, you know, and I was uh, on the stage for every Friday to do announcements. That was part of the vice president's role and put my spin on it. And uh, not that I'm thinking about running for president or anything, but it, it just made me realize that, you know, people are always watching me. And based on what I do and don't do, they're going to uh, take or make decisions and inform decisions about, you know, where their own value system lies and where their moral compass is, because they respect me to, to do the right thing. And, and the same way I look to my mentors or to my friends, the people that I look up to. And if they, uh, you know, do something that may not be uh uh you know or make make the they make the wrong decision or don't do something that is quite ethical or or uh that they're proud of it you know it it affects me and so you realize that the power you really hold and how important it is for you to not just do the right thing when you think people are walking but watching but to always do the right thing hmm. so at this moment in your in your time you're becoming the class vice president you're an excelling in athletics. You're winning state championships in football. And you're presented the opportunity to leave that small town of Charleston, South Carolina, to go on to the next level and play college football. Was there anything that scared you about moving away from home, moving away from that comfort where you knew you had the midnight? So uh, for the first time, I'll be able to stay up past midnight and being able to have a little freedom. I, I was excited, but then I was, you know, a little, little scared that, you know, I, I wouldn't make the right decisions because my parents have always been in my hip pocket, kind of 
you know, making some decisions for me or, you know, having micromanaging my whole life. But it uh, I had to go out there and, and live. And they, they, they trained me well. Uh, they put me around the right people. And for the most part, I made the, you know, the, the right choices in, in college, even though I made, made him a couple of wrong ones, <laughs> like we all do in college. I was able to come out there uh, pretty, pretty unscathed and, and better for it. So you 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 enjoy a a wonderful college career, and 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 you 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 get good grades, and you build a good community, and you lead a, a wonderful team, and set all kinds of school rushing records, and then you get into the NFL draft, and you don't get picked until a few rounds deep. Is there any moment? when you're waiting for that decision to come back of who you're being drafted by that you say, I should not be doing this? Sure, sure, sure. Um, when I was getting drafted, it was one of the most exciting and, and uh, scariest parts of my life because, you know, we had news cameras there in our house with their lights turned on. We had friends and family watching every uh, moment and every second of the draft and my agent said, you can go anywhere from the second round to maybe the fifth round. And I'm thinking, you know, I was ranked number one fullback by USA Today going to the draft. And I, I should be the first fullback taken. So second round goes, third round goes, beginning of the fourth round with latest, I should get picked. Fourth round's about to go. And I'm sitting here, like, biting my teeth. I remember I went to uh, my bedroom and just started playing video games. Like, I can't watch every single pick because I'm thinking – they're gonna pick me every single time, and they don't. So it was uh it was painful. I really did not want to um, uh, to watch it anymore. But, but when they finally chose my name, it's the best feeling in the in the world. Like you feel validated. You feel like all the work you put in from high school and college, it's all worth it. And uh, then you realize, uh, goodness, this is just the beginning. So if you you can only exhale for a, a brief second because you have to get back to work and 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 getting back to work um meant you know becoming a, a new member of a new team um that that ha- had their eye on the rookie and had their hazing regiments Who yep. kind, what kind of people took you under your wing and said it's all right Ovi, we're going to do this together who became your mentors? Oh, it was it was it was it was a great thing because uh, there were few and far between. Um, I had a linebacker named Cornell Brown, uh, uh, and he was the coolest guy because all the other linebackers were trying to take my head off. <laughs> Bart Scott and Ray Lewis, especially and Delius Thomas and Peter Bowyer and you know Ed Hartwell we had just like some bangers we had some hit. I mean these guys just won the Super Bowl like a year or two before I got there in 2003 so they were the number one defense in the NFL and known for their violent ferocious uh un- unyielding style of play where I was the practice dummy and had to take on these guys and practice every single day um they actually made me really good really fast cuz either you got better or you quit going against them but um, Cordell Brown took me under his wing, and um, Matt Stover, the kicker, he was just a a, a real swell guy. <laughs> <laughs> I like that word. <laughs> old old school, and he was someone who didn't care about the whole rookie hazing thing. He cared about you as a person. He was able to see guys who were having a rough time or were 
you know, wondering if they were going to make it or not. And he actually did the weirdest, weird, not, I say it's weird now, but it was weird for that culture that came over to me, grabbed my hand, looked me in the eye and said, I see you struggling, brother. You mind if I pray with you? I'm like, mm. yeah, yeah, no, no problem. Because, you know, I'm like, how did he know that, you know, I, I come from, you know, a church background and try to go to prayer for everything. So he, uh, he sat me down and prayed with me and, and was like, you know, I know it seems like you're on an island and you're by yourself, but you're not by yourself. You know, God's with you. I'm with you. A lot of people in here want you to succeed. So, you know, believe in yourself because we believe in you. And I was like, that is all right. I needed that. I really needed that. So we had pockets of, uh, you know, a uh, real inspiration on our team. I think that's that's why uh, a team made up of so many different characters and socioeconomic backgrounds. Uh, when you have, uh, you know, glue like him that will kind of keep the team together, you can do do some great things. So I had him and some other guys who, you know, went out their way just to pat me on the back, let me know it's all right, and uh, encourage me in a uh, violent gladiator-type battlefield where mm. you feel like it's every man for themselves. So you have a good team of support around you, and, and I, I really value all those players that you mentioned, so I'm glad to hear that they were such good people as well and you fast forward a couple years um you excel in the league you actually go on to sign one of the or the the highest paid fullback contract in the history of the league at the time you make the pro bowl twice and you're sitting to yourself and saying how does how does Ovi when he was a freshman in high school and the things that he believed in then how does that transfer to your newfound stardom? It was weird, man. <laughs> it was weird. Even now, like uh, I, I was signing autographs and taking selfies with a group of nurses that um, uh, I was uh, uh, selling to today. And it's still weird because I don't look at myself as a celebrity or as a big shot or you know, as someone whose uh, autograph should mean that much. Um, but when I signed that big deal with the Falcons and, you know, I went from, you know, making good NFL money, a couple hundred thousand dollars to I'm signing an $18 million deal. Arthur Blank is sending a private jet from Atlanta to Baltimore to pick me up. Uh, you know, I'm eating steak and lobster with my parents going to sign uh, a check. And now outcast has a booth next to mine. And I, I'm like, this is crazy. Like, like I'm, a regular dude from 2007 when I signed to the Falcons and it it was, it all came real fast and it all was, uh, it was a lot. And I, um, I'll be honest with you. I almost got caught up in it. I, I almost got caught up in, in all of it. Um, I bought myself, I think the one thing that is kind of in, indicative for how my parents helped keep me grounded was that, you know, I, I'm a multi-millionaire. Uh, you know, came out. I was, I was happy. I was happy being a hundred thousandaire and making a couple hundred thousand dollars. But you know, all of a sudden, I got elevated to this platform where all the people who were at my level financially, they had uh, what you call as the bling, uh, the ice. They were uh, frosty, as the kids say it. So I'm <laughs> um, like, let me uh, get something too. So I got myself uh, probably three hundred fifty thousand dollars worth of diamonds. And if you've ever seen what three hundred fifty thousand dollars worth of diamonds looks like, it's it's excessive. <laughs> so uh, I had 
a diamond chain, diamond bracelet, diamond watch. I had a diamond cross on top of the diamond chain. And like a dummy, I didn't have any security but my, you know, a couple of my friends. I didn't have a big entourage. And so I'm walking around Atlanta, going to the clubs and going to the events and going to the pool parties. And I wore the stuff for about, you know, two weeks. My mom came to town for a game. And, you know, I'm driving to the stadium. It's kind of like a, you know, entrance thing where, you know, there's cameras there and they see when, when the players park and they walk into the stadium. Uh, ESPN's always there and guys are wearing, you know, their Sunday's best. So I had my sunglasses and I had all my ice on and I was walking down there uh, about to leave the house. My mom said, Ovier, Ovier, come here. And the name is Ovi, but it's pronounced Ovier in my parents' language, uh, O-V-I-E. It's like, Ovier, Ovier, come, come here. Like, what, mom? She's like, oh, look, this is nice. Let me see this. I'm like, oh, here you go. She said, let me see this. Like, oh, here you go. So let me see this. So I basically ended up giving her everything I had. She's like, okay, good, good. Like, who'd you get this from? She's like, all right. I got for so-and-so. I'm thinking she wants some some ice, too. I'm going to lace my mom up. She's like, okay, who? what's his name? What's his number? What's his address? Okay, great. Okay, well, um, have a nice day. Go, go to the game. I'll see you later. I'm like, mom, get my stuff back. She's like, no, you're not wearing all of this. You're not going to turn into one of these, uh, these guys who forget where they came from. You're not going to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on this foolishness when you got cousins in, in Nigeria who, you know, need to, money to go to school. You got, you know, family who's trying to, to make it. You got people starving. And you worked hard, son. Enjoy yourself. You know, it, have fun. But this is excessive. And, and this, you know, not mm-hmm. only is not who you are, but it, it, it makes people think, think that you forget, you for, forgot who you are. And, you know, and whose you are. And so she's like, I'm not going to, you know, sit here quietly and be a part of it. I raised you better. I'm like, mom, it's just some ice. She's like, no, it's not. It's it's not you. And I said, all right. So I gave it back and got myself a nice watch, but not hundreds of thousands of dollars of ridiculous amount of diamonds and uh, on it. And I didn't really need a chain account. Always lose stuff like that. So it, it, it was, um, you know, kind of indicative of how my 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 family, my parents, my church people, uh, you know, my close friends uh, helped kept keep me grounded because a lot of people would have ran off the rails and and you know lost it with all that uh, adoration because hmm. you gotta not just get there but you gotta stay there. And I was blessed to be able to stay there for six years and you know be the first Pro Bowl fullback uh, in the Fran- Falcons franchise history because of the hard knows best. Correct. And and so you're playing football and and you've got a good community around you and you're starting to get back to the old OV and really, really grounding yourself. When did you start realizing that the chapter was closing? <laughs> uh, when it stopped getting fun. You know, it was like around like the year before uh, I got injured. My body was just hurting, and it was just so, you know, just it started becoming monotonous and just like the same thing every day, waking up, throwing the ball, catching the ball. It's crazy to say that because there are hundreds of thousands, if not millions of football players who would love to get a shot at it. So I almost feel bad for saying that it was a chore. But if you lose that, that spirit and that drive and that, you know, that fun from the game, it's just probably time to go. And just the the beating my body took playing the position position of fullback where 
it was my job to concuss myself in order to do a good job. It was my job to have no, uh, you know, resolve my body, like literally throw my body around into linebackers and defensive ends. Like I used to battle Michael Strahan and, and Dominican Sue. And you think of the biggest, baddest linebacker, you know, I'm, I'm going up against them. Should I play Ray Lewis in practice every day, twice a day for four years? It, it takes a toll on your body. And, um, I, I, I knew I could do more and I wanted to do more, which is why I started my TV and radio career while I was still playing, had a radio show and everything. And I kind of knew the right was on the wall. Not that I wanted to get hurt, but I was just like, man, I can't, I can only imagine the days when I can, you know, be able to enjoy a Thanksgiving without worrying about the game or Christmas or new year's without worrying about going through plays and really just rest my body. Cause it's not just NFL. It's, 10 years NFL, five years of college, four years of high school, like your football, 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 football nonstop, which is great for some people. And I, I loved it, but I just wanted to breathe. And, yeah. um, you know, uh, it, it, my wish, care for what you wish for, uh, I hit the knee and I got a chance to breathe uh, for the rest of my life uh, <laughs> off the football field uh, to where now I, I, well, early on, I used to miss it terribly, but now I'm just thankful that I, I got out of it without, you know, too much brain damage. And and when did you start realizing what your next chapter was going to be? Was that a scary moment when you left the game? You know, what did you do? What did you do next? Um, uh, let's see. I'd have to say that um, um, it was – it was scary. I thought it wouldn't be because I've been training for a TV and radio career. I thought like that was you know the easiest way to stay close to the game but not play the game. But the TV and radio career, it didn't take off like I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be an instantaneous thing because I was like, shoot, I, thought, I like TV, I like radio, I like talking. It should be easy. Didn't take off uh, for about three years. I finally got my big break at Sports Illustrated, uh, a company called 120 Sports, now Stadium. And they had a bunch of us down there, but just, you know, from like ESPN was doing, they had to cut some of their staff for whatever reason and, and cut the talent and the staff by half. And I was one of those cuts and had to regroup and um, came back to Atlanta from uh, Chicago where we were filming and kind of had to start from scratch. And I didn't know what I wanted to do, uh, motivational speaker. Do I want to be a solar panel salesman? Do I want to be environmental activists and get paid for that. Do I, I mean, there's so much on the table. I try to do everything at the same time, mm. but finally I, um, uh, you know, got into medical sales and it's been the best thing ever. Cause I have a background in medicine through my parents and my sister and, uh, even my, my own, um, you know, endeavors were going to lead me. So I thought to the, um, become a doctor, uh, I get a chance to really bring, services devices that can help people at the same time uh make an income for my family so i i, I love it but I, I didn't think that i was going to end up here i thought i was going to be a tv radio guy and finally you know god kind of le led me to hmm. my uh my true destiny but there was something from that that uh exploration period that did stick and that's your environmental activism and you're one of the only NFL players that is fighting as hard for uh, sustainability in the environment um, in some pretty innovative ways. 
Yeah, uh, the environment, sustainability, the the whole you know segment of my life is something that's extremely important to me because you know I've always been about giving back. I've always been about looking out for the little guy. I've always wanted to stand up for those who don't have a voice and and to be that voice because I have a platform up, which was people were advocating for me without me even knowing it. And when you have children, it just changes the game completely because it's not just about the here and now, but it's about the future. It's not just about what's good for you, but what you can make good for your kids and family. You know, and I realized that I I work my whole life so I can take care of the ones I love, my parents, my siblings, my kids especially. But there was no amount of money, and I made a lot of it, that could give my kids the best future and the best planet. There's no amount of fame. There's no amount of... Uh, you know, quote unquote celebrity that would allow me to give my kids a better air quality than the people, you know, in downtown Atlanta. You know, they breathe the same air. You know, I can't give my kids a you know, better water quality, you know, healthier oceans for them to go to when they go to Charleston. Like we, they all use the same water. So the only way I can make sure that I leave this planet better or at least as good as well as uh, as I found it is to get involved in sustainability, get involved in the environment, to really push uh, you know, information, awareness about global warming, climate change, uh, just what we're doing to the one planet we have. Because you know, going to Mars sounds cute, but I don't think going to Mars or Venus uh, is going to be a real uh, option for us, maybe at some point. But I love Earth. I love this planet. Let's, let's, let's take care of this. And uh, the people who are affected the most by the environment are the ones who care the least about it. It's usually people of color, usually underserviced communities, have high rates of asthma, diseases they can't pronounce or spell. You know, the Flint, Michigan of the world, the, the oil spill occurs in the, these areas. It, it, it's not people who really feel like it's their job or their duty. Uh, it's always someone else's problem. It's uh, rich people's problem, white people's problem, someone else's problem. Yet it needs to be everyone's problem because everyone has to deal with it. Now, so go ahead. No, I, I was going to say now one of those big oil spills you were talking about actually happened where your family is from in the Niger Delta. How has that fueled your fight, your roots to your homeland? Uh, it, it absolutely it, it's fueled it in, in a big way because um, there there aren't many Nigerians and there aren't any other Nigerian football players that are advocating for. Uh, sustainability, everything from laws to policies to, you know, to getting just people to pay attention to know that this is something that is important now. Because this issue is so slow moving, like, a, you know, a, like a glacier, like a giant glacier that's melting, people don't see the immediate need for it. And, you know, there's so many great causes to fight for and to support from, you know, cancer to obesity to you know, dealing with uh, health and homelessness and education. There's just a thousand and one things to support. But with the environment, if you if we don't have a plan to live on, all those other things are null and void. You know, homelessness, that's not going to be an issue if we're all wearing gas masks and trying to, you know, fight to, to get a decent breath of air. Um, so I chose the environment because I felt like it was a place that needed uh, an injection of, of sports, an uh, injection of fun, an injection of, of, of just excitement about um, taking care of those we always say we, we want to take care of. Uh, I usually talk in my, um, or I mentioned in my talks that 
so many parents talk about they'll do anything for their kids and they will take a bullet and hop in front of a car and whatever it takes to keep their kids safe. I'm like, if that's the case, you can't say you love your kids and not love the environment. Keeping them safe is taking care of what they'll be, uh, just the, the planet they'll be living on for the rest of their lives and, their, and your grandkids, their kids will be living on. That's mm-hmm. loving your kids. That's that's taking care of the ones who you who you uh, say you love the most. Really break the bank. It's just some lifestyle changes. And and you have a um, you have a special book coming out that's going to help you get this message out um, to a broader audience. Where did that come about? I do, I do. My special book is uh, you know a, a pet project of mine. Uh, it's a comic book called Gridiron Green. It's going to be the first ever uh, African-American environmental sports comic book ever. So yes. I got, the, I, got the, I got the whole sports community excited. I got all the, all the NFLs and CBSs and Sports Illustrated, places I've worked, uh, all excited about you know a sports figure. Uh, and intrigued, really, because they've never seen anything like this. And they're like, how is this going to work? Is this going to be a flop? Is this going to be cool? Like, no, it's, it's going to be awesome. Uh, I got uh, the environmental world, of course, uh, excited that someone's finally tried, decided to champion uh, their cause in the sports world. Uh, we have National Geographic that's already set on to be a supporter. Of course, UNICEF uh, is working with us. We have the good people at ECOS. Uh, we have a lot of different foundations from uh, NRDC, the Global Green, the Sierra Club, who are all uh, excited about this thing popping off. Um, and then, of course, the comics world, the comic book world doesn't, you know, have a lot of Black Panthers. There's not a lot of African-American uh, uh, representation, much less environmental representation. Uh, the uh, Captain Planet Foundation and this uh, uh, event and uh, John's a big part of um, Gridiron Green because he, you know, he wants to see his uh, his granddad's. Uh, um, you know, creation, Captain Planet, and kind of have a, uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't even say a reboot because I, I wouldn't disrespect Captain Planet like that. This is just a, another take on an environmental superhero, but it's because I used to watch Captain Planet when I was a kid. And I used to uh, watch uh, uh, Kwame, the, the African character. Oh, yeah. Powers, talking about how the power is yours and making me feel like, hey, the power really is mine. I can do something to change my the outcomes of uh, my life and the the educate edutainment that occurred while I was educated while being entertained was something that I was like we gotta you know strike up the band and get that going again. There's there's no reason why this generation shouldn't have something to give them that same type of edutainment. So you know it's a comic starting out. We hope to go to cartoons soon and before you know it we'll get our own gridiron green movie come out on Netflix or something. I'll Heck- take it. Heck yes, the newest Marvel superhero, Gridiron Green. Yeah. Yep. Shaped after a bulky version of Ovi Muhele. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Old school me. Now, in in closing, you know, I, I I'd say one of you know, your 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 greatest uh accomplishments on this planet is your family. And and to all our listeners out there, what words of wisdom can you give in order to help people keep a well-balanced life between work, activism, and their family? The advice I can give them is uh, family first. Uh, you got to put your family first and then everything will work around it. Um, 
you know, I, I got my uh, little ones. I put to bed before I got on this call with you. And my my five year old, my three year old, they love their daddy. Like, I literally am the, the world to them, me and their mother. And you know, just like early on in my my, my um, childhood career, like like what I do, they watch everything I do. They they hear what I say, but they're more importantly, they they, they see how I act, how I treat their mother, how I treat them, and I'm building the you know i'm kind of like you know planting the seeds and placing the building blocks of uh, of their lives and their foundations and, and what they're going to build on and on what love is and you know what trust is and you know what happiness is and and, and what hard work is what dedication is uh you know what what um you know truthfulness is and, and telling the truth all these simple things my parents used to do with me i find myself going through these same these same you know value exercises but it only happens because I make time for what's important. I mean, I'm busy as heck, and I'm sure you are too. Uh, but with my family, I, that's why I'm here. That's why I'm on this earth, to make sure that I help others, especially the ones that you know I brought into this planet, and uh, I make sure that, that they understand how much they're loved regardless and how uh, special they are to me and to everyone. Well, those are beautiful words from a beautiful man, and it's been a pleasure having you on this podcast. Folks that are listening, uh, please go check out Ovi's great work. Uh, email in to me, and I'll connect you to him if you've got any ways of supporting the wonderful missions that you heard today. Uh, Ovi, I will see you on the golf course at the Masters in just a, sh- a few short weeks, and I couldn't be more excited. No, you and me both, man. I'm looking forward Well, folks, if you liked what you heard today, please click that subscribe button. Share this episode with your friends. Email in uh, any suggestions on people we should have on this podcast in the future. I hope y'all have enjoyed yourselves. I hope y'all are having a phenomenal day on Earth. Remember, folks, it's your world. Go explore, and we'll see you next episode.